0: Romans chapter 12, we continue this morning in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we come this morning and ask again that you would make our hearts soft, that you would give us insight into your word that is life for us, and that we would trust you and trust in what you have revealed to us and what you call us to as your people. Amen. As people compelled by God's mercies, who offer our whole selves as sacrifices, who are being transformed, we all belong to Christ. And we all belong to each other. What does it look like for us to function as God's people? What does it look like for us to function as a community of faith? Paul has laid out an 11 chapter foundation to exhort us to live as God's people in this age, having been brought into a right relationship with God and now steadfastly waiting for glory. And you can see throughout these verses the importance of both individual Christians and the church. Paul is very clear here about both the unity of the body and the diversity of its members. As Paul calls us to vibrant community. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone Among you. Paul is recalling the grace given to him at his conversion on the road to Damascus, which was not only his conversion to Christ, but also his installment as an apostle. God's grace given to him was both salvation and the office and authority of apostleship. So when Paul says, I say to everyone among you, he is instructing us as Jesus' people with Jesus' authority. And by the way, everyone is singular. Every one of you. The among you is plural. Again, even with this simple Paul is already pointing us to the one and the many, the parts and the whole. So what follows then in verses 3 through 8 are three steps we are each to take to make a vibrant community of faith, to live out life as Christ's body. Step number one is evaluate yourself. Evaluate. Yourself, verse 3. Now, there is a danger to thinking of yourself too much at all, isn't there? Our culture's preoccupation with self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, self-forgiveness, self-confidence actually breeds a culture of self-centeredness. And it's sad that so many of us looking for help are told that our problem is low self-esteem when, in reality, often what we really need is to get our eyes off of ourselves, is to stop looking at ourselves and thinking about us. This age, though... As Paul calls it in verse 2 of this chapter, this age seeks to conform us to believe our value, our joy, our fulfillment in life is to be found within ourselves. By the way, worldview alert, this is the essential theme to almost every children's movie and TV show for those of you who are parents and paying attention to those sort of things. The Bible radically counters this lie by declaring that our worth and our happiness is not found within ourselves, but that our fulfillment, our joy, meaning in life is found within our Creator and Redeemer. The answers to our emptiness, to our broken relationships, to our sufferings, to our pride, to our self sufficiency are not follow your dreams or forgive yourself or look inside but instead they are repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's Peter in Acts chapter 2. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. It's Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Or the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Should we not be turning and seeking and trusting the God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, And whose ways are higher than our ways than instead of looking inside of ourselves, esteeming ourselves. At the same time, there is a right and healthy way for us to think about ourselves. There is a right and a healthy way for the renewed mind, verse 2, to think of itself. In fact, self-evaluation is necessary. It's just that the renewed mind thinks of himself or herself humbly. Each of us must not think of himself more highly than he ought. The danger is that we will think of ourselves in an inflated way. For example, given what Paul says in these chapters... We might consider ourselves gifted or equipped in ways that we're actually not. We might have an inflated view of how we're gifted. We might have a grasp on our giftedness but feel we deserve more recognition than we get. Or that we really do deserve. Or that our giftedness entitles us to something. Maybe it is we simply feel we're more important than others. According to chapter 14, perhaps we're tempted to consider our heritage or our freedoms as superior and place them above another brother's or another sister's conscience and welfare. Those would all be examples of thinking too highly of ourselves. Now, can you imagine if this was the operative counsel given to professional athletes? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Or to politicians running for office in a campaign year, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Or the message hung in our school's hallways instead of, Believe in yourself. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Talk about culture shock. And what if this was the operative guide for us in the church? What if this was the operative guide for resolving conflict among ourselves? That when we have disagreement and we come together to resolve that disagreement, the conversation begins with, look, I know we disagree here, or that you're offended, or that I'm offended, but I want you to know, I'm committed to not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. Could you start a conversation that way and mean it? Paul knows we need to hear it, and thankfully... He gives us the alternative. If we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, then we are to think of ourselves soberly. So we think of ourselves humbly and we evaluate ourselves soberly, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is the antidote to thinking too highly of ourselves. Now, the word think with sober judgment is really a play on words. Literally, it says, think with sober thinking. Think with sober thinking. So sober judgment or sober thinking was considered a virtue in the Greek world, and it was often contrasted with pride. The basic word here, think, is also a favorite of Paul's. In fact, we've seen it in Romans a couple of times. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This set their minds, same word. They think in a certain direction. Romans chapter 11, verse 20. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Now, the context here, is, again, is he's talking about the nation of Israel, they were a branch. They had the covenants, the truth. God broke them off to graft in the Gentiles. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud But fear. That word become proud is this word think combined with another word. Do not do something other than have sober judgment about your place in God's plan of salvation because Israel has been broken off of the tree. Do not become proud, do not think in that direction. So, the word is not so much about the process of thinking, the intellectual process, think with sober thinking. It is about the direction of thinking. It is the way we view something. And here it is about the way we view ourselves. Sober judgment is self deflation, sober judgment dispels self inflated illusions. And it forces clarity and self-evaluation. We are to practice this sober thinking then according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now, this is a difficult statement. Does it mean that some people have been assigned a greater portion of faith than others? The word measure can mean that. I measure out a tablespoon here and I measure out a cup here. Have some people been measured out a cup of faith and other people measured out a tablespoon of faith? What kind of faith is this? Is this the faith that we have exercised in the gospel and therefore been justified and become believers? Or is this uh, some other kind of gift of faith? Or is this the measure of faith as a standard of faith? We can say a ruler is a measure. It sets a standard for how something should be measured. This word measure can be used that way as well. So the measure of faith could be the standard of faith that God has established by which all of us are to evaluate ourselves. So we've all been given faith, and I'm to measure myself according to that faith that we all share, and you are to measure yourself According to that faith that we all share, that's also a possibility. I think that we have to lean heavily on the context. And when you have the terms measure assigned many members in verse 4 and in verse 6, gifts that differ, and the word proportion, the phrase measure of faith has to reflect on the diversity of functions in the church that Paul's going to talk about here. So, the measure of faith that God has assigned does refer to our common faith by which we each receive God's gracious gifts, gifts that God has assigned to us. So, it's not talking about, uh, you know, someone's been given a cup of faith and someone's been assigned a tablespoon of faith. It's talking about the fact that we all share this common faith. But according to that faith, we receive and and respond to the gifting and the grace that have been assigned to each of us. The faith is the same, but the gifts differ, as one New Testament scholar puts it. It's what Paul is after here. So we are to, by faith and according to the faith that we have been given, Each of us then, when God graciously gives us gifts, the gifts by which we build up one another as the body of Christ, we are to function in that gifting according to that faith. When you consider the heritage that you bring into the church, as your giftedness unfolds and becomes clearer, as you search for your place in Christ's body, Paul says, don't get an inflated view of yourself. Instead, think soberly. Practice steady, clear-headed thinking about yourself as God has assigned you to employ your faith for the good of the body, of the community. Now, Paul is not advocating self-contempt or false modesty. Humble, sober self-evaluation doesn't mean self-pity. The thoughts of theologian John Murray are helpful for us, I think, here. He writes, If we consider ourselves to possess gifts we do not have, then we have an inflated notion of our place and function. We sin by esteeming ourselves beyond what we are. But... If we underestimate, then we are refusing to acknowledge God's grace and we fail to exercise that which God has dispensed for our own spiritual growth and that of others. It's well said. So there is, in the end, some wisdom in the ancient Greek proverb, know thyself. There is a right way to evaluate ourselves to know our strengths and weaknesses, our temptations, but it must be done humbly, and it must be self-knowledge that is obtained by a renewed mind. So the first step, then, that each of us is to take to benefit the community of faith is to each evaluate him or herself with humility and sober judgment. The second step we find in verses 4 and 5 Embrace your membership. Embrace your membership. Now I'm using the term "membership" here, not as a formal commitment to a local church, that we would commonly call church membership, usually. When we say I'm a member of such a we're saying that we've formally uh, become a member, we've joined a particular local church. I'm using it here in the way Paul uses it in verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, that membership. One body, many members. This parallel between the physical human body and God's church is one of the New Testament's favorite ways of explaining how we are a diversity and a unity that we have many members, and yet we are one body. Our diversity is found in our function. Verse 4, the members do not all have the same function. You and I have hands, feet, elbows, hearts, noses, eyes, and they all come together to form one body, but our hands and our noses don't have the same function. Our toes and our hearts have different roles. And we should take joy in this diversity. What a a display of God's wise design to make us have different functions in the church for our good. But in the church... This great diversity serves the unity, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It is being in Christ that makes us one body. And while we are grateful for the diversity, we must remember that we are one. In Christ, we belong to one another. The very faith that unites us with Jesus in his death, such that we have died, and unites us with Jesus in his resurrection, such that we have risen with him. That's all chapter 6 in Romans. This same faith unites us with each other in Christ. So the emphasis of these verses really are unity. It's our unity. We usually hold diversity in tension with unity, as if diversity were an obstacle to overcome, to gain unity. But we don't have unity unity in the church despite diversity, but because of it. So it's like a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle doesn't fit together and hold together in spite of the fact that the pieces are being cut differently. If all the pieces were cut the same, it could never hold together. It would never fit together. Likewise, if the church was all hands, we'd be a mess. If the members of Christ's body were all mouths, we'd be useless. God sees to it that we are all cut differently so that we lock together. If you were to open a a puzzle and all of the pieces were perfectly cut squares, you could arrange it on the table, but it would never stay together. Paul isn't saying, come together as a church even though you're all diverse. Now we might apply that to certain types of diversity, like racial diversity or Economic diversity, heritage, those kinds of things, despite all the fact that you're of different races and from different places in the world, that you speak different languages, come together despite all those things in unity. But this diversity is something more like you all fit together and you all hold together like a jigsaw puzzle, each of you cut intentionally by design to fit together. That's the unity Paul's talking about. One body. And notice in verse 5, Paul doesn't simply restate that we are one body in Christ, but that in Christ we are individually members one of another. In other words, each of us doesn't just belong to the whole, but each of us belongs to each of the other parts. I don't just belong to the body. I belong to you and to you and to you. And you belong to him and you belong to her as part of Christ's body. We individually belong one to another. So embrace your membership, evaluate yourself embrace your membership, embrace your diverse part to play in the church, and embrace the fact that you belong one to another. We belong to each other. So evaluate yourself, embrace your membership, and third, exercise your gifts. Exercise your gifts. Paul goes on to list seven gifts or grace gifts that are distributed among the members of Christ's body. You can see them listed here. Paul gives a list. Prophecy. Serving. Teaching. Exhorting. Contributing or giving. Leading. Mercy. We usually call these spiritual gifts. And in other places in the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 12... They are called gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. And we'll take a closer look at these next time. Okay? But these grace gifts are crucial for defining our diverse functions. These, this diversity of function that Paul is talking about is largely defined by these grace gifts. The diversity in the body of Christ is mainly a matter of gifting. Again, we can talk about different kinds of diversity—racial diversity, heritage, these kinds of things, cultural backgrounds—but the kind of diversity what Paul is talking about when he says that we're all various members is not doesn't really have to do with one members of this race and another members of this race. It has to do with one member's gifted to function this way in the church and this member of the body is gifted to function a different way in the body. So this diversity in the body of Christ is a matter of gifting as God equips and enables the various members of the body in a variety of ways. In closing, then, it is vital that every member put his or her gifts into action, that we exercise them, and that no member, first of all, think of himself as superior to any other member because of the gifting or role that they have. Or secondly, to think of himself independent of the other members of the body to whom we all belong. Evaluate yourself and embrace membership. Those two things must be in place before you can, as Paul says here in verse 6, use them. Use the gifts. Exercise those gifts. So, It's good for us each then to ask ourselves, do I think of myself more highly than I should? Or do I evaluate myself with sober judgment? Is my heart humble? Do I understand that God has assigned a role and a gifting within this local church? Have I really embraced my membership in this church? Do I see myself as belonging to Christ's body and to each of the other members? Have I embraced that I belong to this community and that I belong to that person and that person and that person? Because together we are in Christ. Am I exercising my gifts? And again, we'll talk about this list next time. But am I exercising them? Do I know what my gifts are? And am I committed to investing time and energy for the good of others in the body of Christ? Those are, again, questions that are good for us to ask ourselves, aren't they? Let's pray. Lord, now help us to humble ourselves so that we might function as your people, diverse members, yet all one body, united in you by faith and members of one another. You have called us out. You have saved us to be your people And you will make us one, and you will bring us home. Help us to live accordingly as a transformed people with renewed minds. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let's stand.